0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. Lots to talk about today at every level of government. We've got that rail blockade. Yes, a small portion of via routes are set to resume Thursday, but this is hitting the economy in a big way with $350 million worth of goods being blocked from their destinations every day. So what, if anything, is the Prime Minister going to do about it? provincial legislature has resumed after what seems like a very long time and the education minister is on the hot seat about continuing strike action the only glimmer of hope is the resumption of talks tomorrow with catholic teachers and here in the city another delay in the construction of the eglinton lrt we want to hear from you 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. But first, I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman-Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hi and welcome.
2: Good afternoon. Hi, Levin. Hello.
1: Charles. Uh, Is the Prime Minister handling this blockade the right way?
3: It's an intensely difficult situation. Um, I think the Prime Minister is really taking his level best shot at establishing dialogue with um, not only the protesters, not only the Wetsuit and hereditary chiefs, but also with Indigenous people across Canada who number more than a million in this country. Um, I think it's important to remember that one out of every two Indigenous children in Canada live below the poverty line. I think it's important to remember that the suicide rate among Indigenous Canadians is three times the national average, that people live in abject poverty on reserves across the country, sometimes without even the basics of clean water. And this is not an isolated incident. This has been coming for a long time. There are a lot of very angry, upset people who effectively constitute a displaced cat class in our society. And the only appropriate action is dialogue. It is not to say the rule of law must prevail and let's go in there all guns blazing.
1: Uh, boy, <laughs> Karen, do you, do you
4: agree? N- no, 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 I don't. Um, I think that um, it, there's some complications within... Oh, sorry, let me say, every, I agree with what Charles said about the fact that the Indigenous in our nation uh, live in poverty and we need to address that. That's accepted. The issue we're having now is a one of power and control around who makes decisions on behalf of Native. First Nations communities. Because we have elected band councils who are negotiating in good faith thinking that they actually had the authority to negotiate when in fact they don't. And if you're talking about how do we get communities out of poverty, it's these types of projects that will help these communities, giving them jobs, uh, invest them in the outcome, engage them in dialogue. That all happened. And now it's, being, it's becoming undone because the hereditary chiefs believed that they were the ones that actually had the power and control in these negotiations. So it, um, what I find shocking is that the federal government didn't see this coming because Trudeau has made it his mission over the last two um, mandates to... Bring reconciliation to this issue. To, he's made it his personal mantra uh, for the Truth and Reconciliation Act. And so, how how could this be a surprise? How could we be into what day twelve of this blockade with no clear path
1: forward? To me, is quite shocking. John, uh, does Trudeau look weak, or does he does he look measured?
2: He looks extremely weak, and the only thing I could say that I agree with the prime minister is when he said this is a moment in history, and this might be his history uh, that is going to be affected by this, because quite frankly, the, the, this is an illegal... Uh, protest that's been happening. And I think the fact that the Prime Minister is refusing to, to recognize it as such is a challenge. I think the fact that he has been away in Africa and, and doing other things with respect to, you know, trying to get us on the UN Security Nation Security Council seat um, while this was going on was a travesty. The fact that he, le- he didn't go to Barbados because of the public relations that would have been affected by that, him going to Barbados while the House comes back after the long weekend and he's not in this chair addressing this issue would have been devastating. Mm-hmm. So he had to come back. There's no other choice. But he was being pressured to come back. But I think that, you know, he comes back and he makes a statement, and and it is, and I think the leader of the opposition in your opening clip was right to say it was the weakest word salad or whatever he <laughs> called it um, in, in history, in a situation that it's been going on for some 12, 12 days or more. Uh, he had plenty of time to think about this in his trip back to Canada, and, and notwithstanding the fact that he was talking to other ministers. This is a bad, bad uh, issue for the Prime Minister, and it's not to say that we shouldn't at least start off with dialogue, and try to de-escalate. That's always number one when it comes to any level of protest, including, especially with the indigenous community. Um, but he sent a minister there on Saturday with no, no luck at all, no success, uh, comes back and says, "Well, oh, we had a good conversation. We laughed. We cried. We, we had all these but nothing concrete came out of it. And now we're here and, and we're, we're in a situation where, quite frankly, there are, there are professional protesters now that are taking over this well, issue now. I,
1: when I was watching on the weekend when it was extremely cold, I don't know if there were any Indigenous protesters there. As a matter of fact, there, I saw one extended interview. I was shocked. It was somebody who said, I am a settler, so obviously not Indigenous. And then I'm from Minnesota. It was, right, yeah. so an, an American. Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Got 10 minutes of airtime yes. on this. I, I could not believe it. Uh,
4: well, and, and to the point, John, that you are raising, and, and Charles, even to your point about dialogue. Who's having the dialogue? Like, it, it's completely unclear who is talking to whom in this situation and how we can, what, what the dialogue is going to produce in terms of an outcome.
3: Indigenous Affairs Minister Mark Miller um, visited the Tuandaga, uh Reserve, um, spent nine hours talking to them very directly it was clear going in that it was unlikely that the protesters were simply going to say oh all problem solved we're gonna walk away now but again I would ask my colleagues the alternative is imposition of the rule of law which is going in forcibly and removing these people who do have truly legitimate grievances and yes the protest is illegal just as many protests through human history have been illegal in the search for civil rights and this is a critical moment in the history of this country and to suggest that we should be looking at this through the lens of oh the prime minister looks weak and is ridiculous
1: okay but but let me just ask you this so do we allow it to continue crippling the economy there are communities that are going to run out of very critical substances propane other fuels, uh, chemicals for water filtration. It's $350 million worth of goods every day, Charles. So does it just continue?
3: The Prime Minister has made it crystal clear that we need to find a solution and we need to find it now. There is no doubt that time is very short, that these shortages that are being created as a result of the protests can only be tolerated for so long. And this in itself is part of the dialogue.
1: Okay, but but just before we move on, so, so... if the dialogue is not fruitful, like do you then remove the protesters? Or I mean, I don't, I don't see a, a path here.
3: Well, hopefully, the protesters will choose to. Um uh, give up their protests at some point in the very near future I think that is the best possible outcome and I think that comes hand in glove with a promise for meaningful dialogue around a lot of the social issues that confront these people on a daily basis
2: well and the issue I think Charles no one's saying that you know we've got to go in there and forcibly uh, exit them or, or remove them I think is as as the first option I think dialogue you spend is, some
3: time on social media and see what people are saying well it's horrifying
2: y- I'm sure and I'm sure that that's the case but I, I think people are and the prime minister's but I think I think there's no roadmap. There's no sense of the fact that this has been going on. It wasn't as if it happened yesterday and he's just collecting his thoughts. This has been going on for some time. There's some time for the Prime Minister and his team to come up and say, okay, we've got to be able to do something. Sending his minister in on Saturday and having nothing resolved and come back and say, okay, well, we have to do more dialogue. Well, the, the issue here, I think, is 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 that you're allowing protesters then to rule uh, the issue. And then, of course, you're going to come back and sort of negotiate some sort of deal. And then the protesters are going to win. And then what's going what's to happen with TMX when that gets up and running and what's going to happen with tech when that gets up and running there's other pipelines that are going to be coming down is this going to be a situation well, where well, we're going to see and, this all the l- time let
1: me ask this if if they if you say it can't continue or whatever I mean yeah they will have to be removed forcibly if they don't 100 yeah, percent and
4: you know there's also the fact that the elected band councils actually did negotiate yeah and so how how like how are we protecting their legitimacy in this process? If we go and undermine all that they've agreed to, like what is, what, how is that being resolved? And so, and for Canadians that want to engage in reconciliation, that doesn't, this, this isn't making any sense in terms of who, who, who are we actually talking with about what? It's very unclear. And I'm, the prime minister is shedding no light on how this dialogue should occur, who should be participating in it? What is the outcome that we're trying to achieve? Who is actually speaking on behalf of this issue? As a Canadian, I, I don't even know the answer to those questions.
1: Charles, do you do you think that? Uh, I mean, it's hard to know what he was saying. Frankly, do you, uh, do you think that he's showing enough leadership on this?
3: Well, I think the. Proof of the pudding is in the tasting in terms of how this issue is resolved and can, can a satisfactory outcome be achieved. And I think the Prime Minister is giving that his level best shot. But let's understand the reality, the present case that is before us, which is abject poverty among Indigenous peoples across Canada. One out of every two young people who are Indigenous living under the poverty line. I mean, let's keep our eye on the ball here.
2: Well, and I think no one's disputing that. And I think we all agree that that is absolutely an issue. It has been an issue for for many, many years. And and many governments have tried to tackle that issue. And I think many will. Um, And and it's not to say that they're both mutually exclusive. Uh, You have to deal with that issue as a writ large issue with indigenous communities. But you've got a protest now that's happening today that is resulting in an illegal, uh, illegal, quite frankly, shutdown of of the Canadian economy. There are freight ships in in the B.C. harbor uh, that are that are literally Sitting there waiting, we've got we've got eighteen wheeler transport trucks now being used to the max to try to get shipments back and forth, uh, and you've got biz- people who can't go to work because of via rail it, it is Layoffs. a huge issue. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. not just you're hitting you know, sort of the you know you're hitting the Canadian economy at a time when it's the most vulnerable, and I think Canadians are going to have so much patience with this, and I think it's wearing thin now.
1: Okay, let's take on another government, our uh, conservative government here <laughs> in Ontario legislature resuming after. After what seems like a really long time and uh, what's happening with this education file uh, w- I hear that they're going back to the table with one set of teachers Catholic teachers but on Friday two million students are going to be out of class and uh, we've seen public opinion polls that show that that it, it's starting to veer towards the teachers
4: Karen. Yeah and I, I think again because there's not a real coherent plan for how what success looks like in this dispute. And uh, right now the teachers appear more organized. Their message is clear. They are uh, impacting more families. And so, um, and the government, you know, keeps saying, well, we want to negotiate, we want to negotiate. Um, it's all about money, but it, it's still, I, I think that their message isn't resonating as well as the teacher's message is. And so there, if they want to withstand this public uh, opinion they 're going to have to become much more clear with wh- what they 're trying to achieve and, and why the public should uh, put up with this work disruption and what, what why what 's in the public interest at large for continuing to support the government's position on this.
1: Uh, Charles, as always, with the proviso of all the teachers in your
3: family. <laughs> Who visited me <laughs> yesterday for okay. Family Day and uh, heard some fascinating perspectives. From, okay, um, go ahead. The first was that, um, boy, I'm getting myself into some trouble here. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. none of them are listening. <laughs> yeah. um, the first... Real eye opener for me was to hear how much they regret the salary negotiations having been embroiled into the overall sort of political landscape of this issue. They like they are reasonably well off. They have been. They have good salaries. They are far less concerned about the. And these are ordinary secondary school teachers. Well, they're not ordinary. They're extraordinary. But um, they are far less concerned about the money and way more concerned about the conditions in classrooms and class. Size. And really regret that this has become more about the money in the eyes of some, and that was that was fascinating. Is that
1: just is is that because of their union, or how do they see it? Whose fault is it? You
3: know that I didn't ask. I probably should have. But um, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, you have to you have to look at the unions and see how they've conducted themselves and the kinds of things they've put forward. And of course, the government has been pretty forceful about how you know, greedy unions and teachers getting paid too much as it is and merit. Um, should uh, be on the table instead of uh, years of service. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can s- peel that particular onion. But the the other thing that, that is amazing, and it's it's so refreshing to hear it, is when you hear these teachers talk about their passion for what they do and the passion for the kids and talking about the kids in, in such exemplary terms. And And the other thing that's scary is just how much schools have changed. I mean, there is a whole different dynamic that I heard about yesterday happening in the classroom, happening in schools with kids who are far more progressive in their thinking, far more empathetic to their peers. The old you know, days of how, you know, the, the hockey playing jock sort of ruled the roost and that sort of thing are over. I mean, if you want to be popular, you need to be empathetic, you need to be a good student. And I think it just speaks volumes about what great teachers we have in this province.
1: Okay, well, I don't know if that rules everywhere. John?
2: Well, you know, I think, uh, and certainly, you know, teachers are um, always held to a high regard, and and as they should, given, given the work that they have to do and, and all that stuff. And I think, what you see in Ontario are, are parents and um, Ontarians in general who sort of have a, sympath- a sympathetic you know ear or you know ear sympathy to towards teachers, but not the unions. And I think that they don't split the two because um, the unions are obviously trying to trying to do their best to do whatever they can for for what they for their members. But the vast majority of teachers just want to go and work and teach and, and do all this kind of stuff and, and not have to worry about as Charles says the the one percent or whatever. The school conditions are always an issue. Classroom sizes are always an issue. But what you what you're seeing is a government that is trying to not only give money and spend money in education as they have, more so than in the previous governments, um, and trying to rejig it so that actually classroom sizes matter and also grades that students get matter as well, not only in Ontario, but competitively across the country and in other places. And that's a problem that you're seeing here. And I think public opinion is going to change because what, what's happening is a lot, of the, um, a lot of folks are looking at it and saying, well, I feel sorry for the teachers, but once, they, once their kids start getting into these, uh, these strikes where, like Friday's the first one where yeah. it's province-wide, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see that turning because people are going to start realizing that this is getting a bit too far and it's getting too much.
1: Okay, well, there's a... Uh, uh, let's take a couple of calls. Hi, Pat.
0: Good morning. Uh, My my question is, uh, why are we not using the normal tools of industrial relations, which is you put this out to compulsory arbitration? And obviously, the province doesn't want to do that because I don't think they'll come out the winners. And so, therefore, we continue this game and at the same time we had the um, we had the deputy ministers getting a 14% raise there back in uh, November I think it was so how how do how do we balance that off compared with the uh, with the teachers who were simply trying to do their job
1: Uh, You're absolutely right. And and frankly, Pat, I've said that before a number and and John is uh, nodding his head as well. He's a conservative. Yeah, they don't want to go to arbitration because that will be a more expensive settlement. Uh, You are totally right about that. And the deputy ministers, first of all, there are a lot fewer of them than there are teachers. And I think that increase was passed by the previous government and, and put into effect in this one? Yes. yes. Uh, thanks for your call, Pat. We'll take Thank one you. more. Uh, Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron.
0: Hello there, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Um, the last caller, was. it was uh, just interesting that um, that 14% raise obviously is a lot going to be a lot less expensive and it was negotiated by the previous liberals, so yep. that doesn't really factor into it. Um, my biggest thing is the fact that when I look up in the dictionary and I look up the word bully, the teachers' unions comes to mind, okay? Because that seems to be what they're trying to do to the public, is bully the public into, you know, accepting, how many years are we going to keep going if we give in to the teachers' unions? This is going to be nonstop. It's, it's been, it was nonstop to the liberals. Um, now, in terms of the high schools, I can sort of agree with the, the, the two um, online courses. The only people that are going to benefit from those are people who are going on to secondary education, right? Well,
1: well it's 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 unclear. I mean, that there's not a lot of evidence for those online courses. I mean, they come from some uh, southern state, I think. Uh, so uh, who knows? I mean, it's sort of intuitively you think, yeah, all, all these kids have to know how to live their lives online. Most of them probably already do better mm-hmm. than we do, but... But that is an unproven thing. Ron, thanks for your call. And one more from Rachel in Brampton. Hi, Rachel.
5: Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. I mean, I'm a mom as well. I'm a uh, 17 years old. I have a child who is under the spectrum of autism. And this affected me uh, tremendously. I mean, I, I lost a couple of days' work, but I still support the teachers. And ex- exactly what they're saying, the class size, the support is cut. And even my own child support is, you know, not the way it was before. And what they're fighting is not that they really... I mean, the minister, basically, he's just not saying what he's really... He's his basically his position. You always talk about that one-person salary increase, the teacher. He doesn't really mention the class size, how... You know, overall. And I feel like that he's not willing to talk to the teachers. You know, that's my, my position. You yeah, know, he's just not... He does, he's not clear. And I, I talked, I, I saw all the teachers' position, and with the union and everything, it's very clear. They're talking about class sizes and support for especially teach- students, which uh, us. And, uh, you know, it's not like, I, like he doesn't even understand. I don't even know he went to a public school, to be honest. That's how I, I feel like he's not understanding the teacher's point.
1: Okay, Rachel, well, thank you for your perspective, and I, I can uh, hear that that it's affecting you and your son's education and that it's a difficult situation, so we've got to hope they figure well, it out. Thanks for your call. I like
3: Rachel. <laughs>
2: well, let me just on this, well, just one of the two, one of the three callers, uh, Charles, but, um, but but I think to, to, to Rachel's point, and I think this is what we've talked about on the show before, which is it's going to come down to public relations and communications. I think, you know, in Rachel's point, she's not satisfied with respect to what she's hearing from the minister. There's others who think Think that the unions are bullying them, and, and are you know the ads and this whole thing about you know trying to uh, trying to uh, hold the uh, the the parents t- uh, feet to the fire by virtue of saying you know we're gonna we're gonna have these strikes. So it it, it comes down to what the public is going to realize on this issue. And I think that once you start finding out that strikes are happening more often and more frequently, it's going to turn. Um, the 1% is something that the government is firm on. They've moved already on the class sizes. They moved already on the e-learning from four to two. Um, and, and really, it's all to try to get our, our kids to be much more competitive and smarter and better in, in, in a few, well, the future. Well, you know,
1: it's, it's interesting because uh, I talked to Stephen Lecce last week, and I asked him point blank. The opposite of what I asked the union people, I said, okay, so if you move on that, if you say, okay, we will, we'll get rid of the e-learning and uh, we'll, we'll get rid of the class size thing, we won't budge on the 1%, would you come out and say that? And then they start dancing around, and I asked the union the mm-hmm. opposite thing. You know, if they give on those things, which you say are important, will you give on the 1%? And neither side will commit to doing that. Okay, yeah, they should not be negotiating on fight back, but, but still, you know, I, I think they're both talking out of both sides of their mouth.
4: Yeah, well, you know, the, the only strategy left for the government, I think, um, depending on how the public opinion fares after Friday, is whether they divide the union from the teachers. Uh, because if the teachers well do, they'll fact, try to yeah they'll try to and yeah. you know if the teachers actually do say well if it if it's really a matter of class sizes and support okay can we keep that in, with the one percent and if they take it right to the teachers then. The dynamic shifts entirely, and uh, that could be a way through the impasse, although it's a it's a risky game for sure. Uh,
1: Charles, do you see a path to end this?
3: Well, I mean, legislation is probably the, uh, the, the the cleanest route at this point, the quickest route. I mean, they've got a big decision to make with regards to the timing of Friday's province-wide strike. I mean, that's, as you said, Libby, $2 million students across the province, 1.3 million of whom are in elementary school. So it's, it's a big, big challenge for the government. And I think if they can figure out a way to get this thing resolved before Friday, they will probably go for it.
2: It's funny that it's happening on a short week already. The fact yeah. that it was a long a long well, weekend. And, and, in, and last week they had two
4: days. And well, yeah. two well days and, and PA
1: days in
2: right. some of the things. Yes.
1: I mean, you <laughs> know. We're, we're, uh,
2: Let's <laughs> hope for no snow days. These kids could,
1: should get part time jobs or something. <laughs> you know, Some of them
2: are. Some of them, are. <laughs> some some of them are actually working trying to get some. Anyways, it's just, yeah, it's got to come to a close. Yeah. I don't think legislation, legislation, Charles is right in the sense that that is one, one option. Yeah. I'm not sure the government's going to go there just yet. I yeah. think Wait, a, the,
3: the, yeah.
1: It'll cost them yeah. if they do. Well, yeah.
3: This is already costing them big time in terms of political support. I mean, they're, they're, Premier Ford is wearing this, and the folks in the Premier's office will be very conscious of that fact.
4: Well, it's also costing teachers. I mean, they, yeah. they rely on a paycheck, I'm sure, yeah. like all of us do, to make ends meet, pay the mortgage. And they're getting a hit to their pay because strike pay isn't going right. to cover what they're what their expenses are. So. It, they've already lost more than one percent. One hundred percent. And a lot of them just absolutely.
2: just absolutely hate being pawns in this. Yeah. Yeah. Notwithstanding what the unions are saying. Yeah. The in-laws were
3: saying f- about forty percent off their next paycheck. So yeah. that's that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So uh,
1: we are starting to run out of time. <laughs> Let's go. Let's uh, start with Charles. What are you leaving us with today?
3: Nevada. Nevada Nevada. next Saturday. I tell you, this thing is the most extraordinarily interesting race we've seen in a long time. Bernie Sanders is two for two, but Pete Buttigieg leads in the delegate count. Um, What we're going to see in Nevada next Saturday and then in South Carolina the following Saturday may be the resurgence of Joe Biden. And uh, what
1: about Mike Bloomberg? But but let's leave that. Let's, yeah. let's stay in Canada. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: no, I think it's going to be Friday. It will be a very interesting day to wrap up the week, I think. Um, there's no question that the blockade needs to be solved one way or another by the end of the week. I think, you know, Canadians are patient to a point, And then when they're not patient, they're really not patient.
1: And, uh, and so. let me just give a little promo on that. Uh, I will be talking to the head of the Manufacturers Association uh, towards the end of the show. We'll see what he has to say. And John?
2: Well, just the fact that, you know... Uh, as, as people in government relations, both Charles and I, uh, you know, we're happy to see that both the legislature here in Ontario and the House of Commons are back in uh, back in action, so that's going to be a lot of things. But I think the two key things is the blockade for sure, what's going to happen there, the education, and and, uh, and also in the City of Toronto with respect to the whole issue of the uploading of, of the TTC and, and some big announcement that the Minister is going to be making today with respect to the Ontario line. That's going to be huge for the province and for the city.
1: Okay, yeah, we didn't even get to uh, the delay on the, the Eglinton LRT, but... There's always next week. In the meantime, thank you so much, Charles Bird, Karen Stinson, John
0: Capobianco. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.